Chapter 5 of The Friendship of Anne A Story by Ellen Douglas DeLand This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. It does not take long to become accustomed to a new mode of life, and before many weeks had elapsed, Sydney Stewart felt as though she had been at boarding school with Bertha Macy as roommate for as many months. School routine makes time fly quickly. Every day the girls rose at the same hour, went down to breakfast at half-past seven o'clock, walked out for a breath of fresh air. The Mrs. Wickerstam appreciated the importance of fresh air from a quarter past eight to a quarter of nine, and were at their desks at nine, when school was opened with prayers and Bible reading. From twelve to half-past twelve, there was an intermission, and at two o'clock, the dinner hour. After dinner, until four, the girls could do very much as they pleased, within reasonable limits. At that hour, there was usually a lecture by some visiting professor, or a reading or a concert in the parlor, until five, the study hour and then supper and some mild form of entertainment until bedtime. Sydney was what might be considered a studious girl. She really enjoyed her books and was anxious to learn, not only from a sense of duty, but from the love of knowledge. She astonished her teacher as well as her classmates by reciting the many pages of Grecian history which had been appointed as their lesson almost word for word. She studied everything in this thorough way except mathematics. Here she faltered. It was undoubtedly her weak spot. Anne Talbot, Dolly Fearling, and Gertrude King, who were her classmates in all else, were studying algebra, while Bertha Macy was with much older girls in geometry and Sydney was still wrestling with the rule of three. It was very humiliating. I don't know why I can't get it straight, she said one day to Anne. I seem to be the only girl in school who is so stupid except Elsie Brent. Miss Abby gets perfectly wild with me, and the more she explains, the duller I get until I can't tell what the difference is between fractions and denominations, and quarters and sixteenths. Would you call three sixteenths a fraction or a denominator? asked Anne, her dimples beginning to show. I don't know, I'm sure. I know you are laughing at me. I am not so stupid as not to be sure of that. You are not a bit stupid, said you're brighter than any of us in some ways. Most ways, I think. I have always heard that some people can't get numbers into their heads, but that doesn't mean they can't do other things. You can write like a streak. Your compositions are the best in the class, and look at the way you write poetry. You will be elected club poet before you know it. There, I have made a rhyme myself. That is a sure sign I shall see my bow before night. 
Unfortunately, I haven't got any to see. It was now Sydney's turn to laugh. I don't know why you are laughing, said Anne. I say what I mean. But you don't always mean what you say, retorted Sydney. There is a difference. The two girls were walking together. It was the early morning promenade, and as usual, at this hour they filed along in procession. Partners were engaged days ahead for this, and the girls kept memorandum books for the purpose of noting names and dates. Naturally, some of them were greater favorites than others. It was often necessary to wait a week or ten days to secure the privilege of a walk with Anne Talbot, and Ruth Carter were equally popular with her class. Sydney, as yet, had very few engagements, and therefore it had been a great pleasure to her when Anne, a day or two before, had asked her to walk with her on this special morning. She did not know that Anne had suspected that she was a bit lonely and had arranged with Dolly that they should give up the walk they had planned in order that Anne might have a free morning for Sydney. Anne Talbot was always doing nice things for the girls she liked. It was not easy for her to do them for those whom she did not care for. It was a beautiful morning in November. The air was soft and balmy, and the purple haze that blended the blue of the sky, the dull greens of pines and cedars, the yellow of the oaks, and the rich browns of old Mother Earth proved that Indian summer was making its yearly fleeting visit. There was a pervading fragrance of smoke from the fires which careful gardeners had lighted to burn brushwood and dead leaves before the snow should come. The atmosphere was so still that sounds from very far away could be distinctly heard. The Minnepaka, floating lazily from the mountains to the distant sea, lay like a blue ribbon between the meadows which guarded its banks. Some crows cawed lustily from the pine trees, and a chickadee sang on a brush nearby. The girls were walking back from the village, as the town was still called by the old residents, and their way was along a country road, which formed a short cut from the post office to the Wickersham School. The longer route was through more dignified streets, and the more thickly settled part of the town. They had been to the post office for the morning mail, which was now in a bag and carried by Miss Jeanie Wickersham, not to be distributed until the noon recess. The girls cast longing glances at the big bundle of letters that went into the bag every morning, but Miss Wickersham was inexorable on this point, as on many others. No letters to distract the mind at the beginning of the day. That matter had been settled many years ago. "'Did you know you were chosen?' asked Anne presently. "'Chosen for what?' said Sydney. "'You will know when you know. "'I suppose that means the KQC.' "'When anyone says anything that doesn't seem to have much sense to it, "'but really has a good deal, "'then I am sure it has something to do with the club. 
I hope it won't be something that I can't do properly and shall get turned out for, but I'll do my best. Anne, I wish I dared ask you something. I do need advice. What is it? asked Anne promptly. I don't on giving advice. I knew you had something on your mind. That is the reason I told the... Uh, I mean, I was sure that there was something in the wind. Hurry up, for we are nearly home. Well, it is this. Yesterday morning I had to go up to my room in the middle of the morning to get a paper that my lecture notes were written on that I had forgotten to bring down to the schoolroom. Just as I got near our room, the door opened, and who should come out but... She was interrupted by the girls in front, who suddenly turned and spoke to them. "'We have just heard the most exciting thing,' said Gertrude King. "'They are passing it all along the line, and you are to tell the girls behind you. "'It seems the boys at Pratt's have a new trick on us. "'You know how muddy it was when we were out in the afternoon?' Well, some of them were at Tinkham's when Bertha May and Alice Dodd were there, and after they left, the boys followed them and saw their footprints in the mud and had a measuring rule and measured the size of their feet. Did you ever hear of such a thing? There is danger of their doing it all the time, and we have got to be awfully careful on muddy days. Pass it along the line." This important piece of information was passed along forthwith, and as a result there was no time for Sydney to finish her confidential conversation with Anne, for in a few minutes they had reached the school, and freedom of speech was over for the time being. "'Tell me at recess,' whispered Anne, as they parted, but with recess came other matters which were even more absorbing and important. There were three letters in the mailbag that day which had much to do with the course of this story. Two were addressed to Sidney Stewart. The third was for Anne Talbot. One of Sidney's was from her sister Margaret, and was as follows. My dearest Sidney, we were so glad to get your last letter and hear all about your new friends and your studies. It is a great comfort to know that after all boarding school is not so dreadful as you feared. Certainly it is a fortunate thing about the Mrs. Wickersham's generosity. Not everyone would remember to show their affection for father and grandfather and make it possible for you to be there on such reasonable terms. Anne Talbot must be charming and some of the other girls. There are some you don't care for, of course, but that is to be expected. We can't hope to like everybody, but we can usually manage to get along comfortably, and even though you are thrown into such close contact with Miss M., Perhaps you will not mind her little feelings as time goes by. The worst of all is her curiosity. It would be wise to tear up all your letters from home as soon as possible. You ask about Phil. He is doing pretty well in his new position, but he is still very morbid. 
I hope that will wear off in time, but the cloud is very heavy still. It was unfortunate that it should have happened with Phil, for he has a nature that suffers more than Bob's, for instance. However, we must hope for the best and help him to live it down. Fortunately, no one knows of it in New York except his employer, Mr. Sherman. Mother went to him and told him, he is a kind gentleman, if ever there was one, and he will never speak of it. He thanked mother for telling him. He was very kind to Phil, but of course Phil has not much of a position yet. Just an office boy, but there is a chance for him to work up. I am very busy and like my work very much. Dear little sister, we miss you still and I wish you could come home every week. We are hoping to get you here for the Christmas holidays, but it is still uncertain. The journey is so expensive. Annabel sends a kiss and says to tell you that the cat from the flat next to ours came in our window and that she is going to boarding school with you next year. She is a dear. Love from us all, your loving sister, Margaret. Sydney read this letter first. She fully intended to follow Margaret's advice and destroy it at once, but she delayed long enough to read her other letter. This was evidently a communication from the KQC. It was in a conventional envelope, addressed in an unfamiliar hand and bearing a New York postmark so there was nothing in its outward appearance to signify the nature of its contents. At the expense of much effort and trouble, the managers of the club resorted to all sorts of devices to mystify the members. The outgoing mails to New York frequently carried large envelopes full of smaller missives, stamped and addressed to the girls at Knightsbridge which the relatives at home were asked to post, that they might appear to come from a distance. This which was intended for Sydney was in the form of an invitation. Mrs. Braithwaite would be happy to have the pleasure of Miss Sydney Stewart's company on Tuesday evening, November 18th, at 7 o'clock. Miss Stewart will please enter the premises by way of the garden wall. Now, who will scale the wall? Sid answers to the call. Tis she will scale the wall. Of course, there could be no doubt as to the origin of the letter. Sidney felt a thrill of excitement. This was the first time she had been called upon to do anything of real importance by the order of the club. At the last meeting there had been some further discussion of the mysterious stranger who had moved next door, and it was known that she was an elderly lady by the name of Braithwaite. She had not been seen, however, and the place seemed as deserted as ever, save for a woman who went every day to town with a basket and an old man who worked in the garden and about the place. Braithwaite Hall had always possessed a weird fascination for the girls at the Wickersham School, and the coming of these persons to live there added to his charm for them. 
Sidney felt that it was a great honor to be chosen to investigate matters. It never occurred to her that there could be the slightest harm in obeying the mandate of the club. She had been ordered to go, and go she would, in spite of every obstacle that might arise. Full of the importance of the mission, she gathered up her letters. The two envelopes were precisely the same size and shape. She hastily placed Margaret's letter in the one that had contained the club letter, and the club letter into Margaret's envelope. It had taken some time to study the two, and there had been interruptions, so that recess was nearly over when she had finished reading them. She looked about for Anne, but saw that she was absorbed in her own letters. She thought she would go up to her room, therefore, and look over into the Braithwaite grounds. It would be well to survey the new country which she was to penetrate so long after dark that evening. On her way upstairs she passed a large stove which stood in the hall. It occurred to her that here was an opportunity to destroy Margaret's letter at once. Though she had a box with a lock where she kept her letters, and the key of which she carried always with her, she was a little uncertain of its safety. Strange things had happened lately, she was sure. So she stopped in front of the stove and threw into its fiery bed of coals the envelope addressed in Margaret's hand. She watched it burn with some regret. She liked to preserve her letters for frequent reading, especially those which brought her so much news from home. But Margaret had told her to destroy this at once, so she must do so. Then, with the other letter in her hand, that which she supposed to be the note from the KQC, she went up to her room. On the stairs she met Bertha Macy and Julia Clark. Julia was also one of the new girls, and was already quite intimate with Bertha. Her home was in Wilmington, Delaware, and she was almost the only pupil who lived farther from Kingsbridge than New York. Bertha and Julia both glanced at the letter which Sidney carried rather conspicuously. She felt some pride at having been given so important a commission by the KQC, and she was not adverse to having these two girls know that she had been chosen. It was quite against the rules to tell what you were to do. If three or four had been selected, none knew of the others until the hour appointed arrived. In this case she was quite uncertain as to whether she should alone scale the wall, or whether she should have companions. She had no intention, therefore, of announcing the plot for the evening, but she did not hide her letter. Bertha and Julia, both keenly alive to all such matters, and having scented in some way the fact that a mystery was on foot, those things are apt to be in the air, especially in a boarding school, turned to each other as soon as she had passed upstairs. There! She got one, said Bertha. Of course she did. That makes the third we have seen today. Gertrude King, Ruth Carter, and now Sidney Stewart. 
wouldn't you give anything to know what she is to do how can we find out i think it is mean that they haven't chosen us for anything yet except that stupid trip to buy things at the store they walked up and down the garden together until recess came to an end wondering what summons could have been sent to sydney for i know from the very way she held the letter that it was a k q c said julia instead of dismissing the subject from their minds as being no concern of theirs they exerted all their ingenuity to guess what it could be the matter rapidly assumed important proportions in their opinion they felt that they must find out by hook or by crook what sydney had been ordered to do in the meantime sydney had gone to her room she laid the precious document on her table intending to lock it in her box before she went down to the schoolroom then she turned to the window close to which the table stood and gazed down into the grounds next door the old gardener was raking the dead leaves as she looked she saw a little glimpse of red which moved quickly among the bushes presently it came into sight and she saw distinctly a little figure in a bright scarlet cloak and hood leaning upon the arm of a maid it was the lady herself how exciting it would be to go and see her at close range it was indeed strange that not a thought of the impropriety of such an excursion occurred to her even now sydney was very anxious to be liked by her schoolmates it seemed as though this would be an excellent way to obtain popularity if only she might be successful in her expedition she forgot everything else while she thought of this and was startled by the sound of the school bell which was rung at the end of recess she ran from the room leaving her letter lying upon her table it was not until lessons were over that she remembered it and even then she did not know precisely where she had put it when she went up to prepare for dinner she had just time enough to wash her hands and smooth her hair bertha was already there sydney did not see her letter anywhere so she supposed she had put it in her drawer in her haste she did not think much about it it was not until three o'clock that she really considered the matter then she went to her room again and found it lying on her table where she had placed it in the morning it is funny i did not see it here before she said to herself as she locked it up in her box but i was in such a rush end of chapter five recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c